Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. The best things in life are free. But you can give them to the birds and bees. I need From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. It's the Motley Fool Money Radio Show. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio this week from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser and Matt Argusinger, and from Motley Fool Deep Value, Ron Gross. Good to see you as always, gentlemen. Hey, hey, hey. how you doing? More than 130 companies in the S&P 500 reporting earnings this week, and we are going to talk about every single one of them. Yes! <laughs> Exhausted. We will, we will dip into the Fool mailbag, and as always, we'll give you an inside look at the stocks on our radar. But we begin this week with the social network. For the first time ever, Facebook's quarterly profit topped the $1 billion mark, and fourth quarter revenue increased 51%. Maddie, I don't even know where to begin with this company. It is the social network. You said it exactly right. It's just hard. You can't. You have to marvel at Facebook's numbers. If you look, if we just start with the user base, monthly active users climbed 14% to 1.6 billion. Uh, as my MDP colleague Simon Erickson wrote, that happens to be the combined population of North America, South America, and Europe. In case you're wondering, uh, mobile monthly active users jumped 21% to 1.4 billion. Also, a lot of people. Uh, so this is it's, it's phenomenal. The growth, revenue, and of course revenue, uh, most of which is advertising, still surged 52% to 5.8 billion. That crushed ex- expectations. But here's the really fascinating uh, statistic I thought from the release, which is if you're speaking of mobile, uh, 80% of Facebook's ad revenue in the recent quarter was mobile. If you go back just three years to 2012, it was 23%. That's that's a massive shift in the business, and and I think at the time we were all a lot of us and analysts, a lot of smart, people smarter than me about social networks said, "Wow, that you're never going to be able to monetize mobile as as well as you can as a, on a desktop or PC." But they've certainly done it. If you look at the the average uh, ad revenue per user, it's three dollars and seventy three in the most recent quarter, quarter. That's up from two dollars and eighty one cents. I mean, we thought I thought was one of the guys who really thought social networks would be very difficult to monetize, but Facebook's doing it on a massive scale. It's so impressive. And where does the Growth come from two, three, four years down the road in your mind. I, I don't. They certainly can't sustain 50 percent growth rates. But I mean, it's hard not to imagine that can be 30 or 40 percent growth. And then you're looking at your 10 to 20 billion in revenue. And now that he's back from paternity leave, oh. I mean, come on, <laughs> on fire, all fire. On fire. But, it, but I mean, to that point, Ron, if you think about the big questions that Mark Zuckerberg and his team have faced, first, as Maddie said, it was how they're going to monetize mobile. I'm not saying this was as big a question, but certainly when they spent a billion dollars on Instagram. That was a big question facing. What are they going to do with that? And you look at this latest quarter and the way they're monetizing that. So I'm not sure, but I also know that I'm not betting against these people. No. Yes, sometimes being a cynical analyst in a, in a space where you've got a high growth space with innovators really, you know, getting the job done and in the trenches every day, sometimes being a cynical analyst is the wrong way to be. I mean, you wouldn't bet against I think any company that has, you know, access to this many eyeballs, right? And I mean, this is more or less just kind of becoming your online ID card. And so even if you don't really use Facebook, you still probably have a Facebook account. And I think that's going to continue to grow. I think they're going to capitalize on opportunities in India and other international locations. And I think that you know you you mentioned the the Instagram acquisition, which was just a tremendous acquisition in hindsight. You know, on the flip side of that coin, you look at WhatsApp, and we're still faced with a lot of questions there. Is what in the world are they going to do? Yeah, what with in the world they paid, are they going to do? They with paid that? twenty million dollars yeah, for what's WhatsApp, up with that? and and they've been able to get away every quarter with saying, well, we're just going to wait until we build the user base up to one billion, and then we'll then we'll start talking about our monetization strategy. It, it, so I think that's still a big question in, in investors' minds. But regardless, 
I think a lot of the growth in the, in, down the road here is just going to come from the, the fact that they can go out there and basically do whatever they want. They can buy whatever they want. So, when they see uh, you know talent early on, and they have the minds that are able to identify it, uh, they can really bring that talent in-house, make it a part of the Facebook sort of uh, you know, subsidiary, or make it, make it a subsidiary of the big Facebook uh, sort of network there, and probably do pretty well with it. Shares of Microsoft closing in on an all-time high this week after second quarter profits came in higher than expected. CEO Satya Nadella doing a little cost cutting too, Ron. Yeah, they're getting it done. It looks nice. Um, a lot of the headlines here are misleading, so this is where it kind of pays to drill down a bit because revenue and profits were down, and they beat expectations, as you said, but they were down. But that's where we need to look a little bit deeper and understand that there's a lot of currency translations going on there, as I think we'll see with a lot of our companies. And they're moving to a deferred revenue model, which mucks up the profits a little bit. But profits were actually up 8%, not actually down 15%, if you just look at the headlines. Cloud business, the big story that continues to be really the, the driver of growth. Let's talk about the real story here, okay, guys? I mean, is Nadella, is Nadella a closet Denver Broncos fan? Because, I mean, this was the big headline, right? The Patriots surface tablets go down on the sideline. What's the deal, right? Oh, man. You just, you're, you're I'm just paying, trying to I'm rub it in Maddie's face. Well, wait a minute now. I'm not rubbing it in anybody's face. I just face. got over you it. Know, the the hardware business actually was pretty strong. They're actually selling those surfaces and the laptops. Um, that business was up twenty nine percent, excluding currency. That's not something that I would have bet would have been the case. No, that phone business is a complete mess and <laughs> continues to be. But uh, but cloud and hardware not too shabby. Uh, did I see that they also slightly increased their market share on Bing, the search engine, which <laughs> apparently still exists? Well, it's not too hard to increase a share from from a low number, but. Um, I think that that's certainly not the story. That Azure business, the cloud business, um, Azure grew at 140%. Um, still a relatively small piece of the business, but clearly the, the growth part of it, and, and that's what we have to keep an eye on. Apple sold nearly 75 million iPhones in the first quarter, and Wall Street was unimpressed. Shares down 5% this week. And Jason, they are projecting a revenue decline in the current quarter. First time that's happened in 13 years. Sure. I mean, that Apple can unleash numbers like these and the market actually finds a downside to it, I think is a testament to to not only how really big the company is, has become in its success to date, but but it's also, you know, it reminds us that this really is, for all intents and purposes, a phone company, right? I mean, Apple does a lot of things and they do a lot of things very well, but the phone continues to be the overwhelming majority of their sales. And so, you know, I look at these results and I think this is just another reminder. We need to remember exactly how groundbreaking the iPhone really was, the smartphone in general, but really the iPhone. I mean, that that is lightning in a bottle right there. And to expect a company to be able to come up with that twice, I, I think, is probably asking a lot. And for investors who think Apple will just do it because they're Apple, you're probably you're probably not doing yourself any favors. So you know, we look at Apple and say they're going to be, continue to be very successful with the iPhone. I don't th- I don't think that's going anywhere. iPad those sales shrinking, Mac sales shrunk a little bit. Uh, the balance sheet two hundred fifteen point seven billion dollars in cash. Worth noting that two hundred billion of that is international, so we're probably not going to see much done with that. Uh, to me. I think this is a fundamentally different company than it was three years ago. This is an income play now. For me personally, I would much rather see them juice the dividend here. I mean, they're doing a good job returning capital to shareholders and buying back shares and, and paying a dividend, but that dividend yield is still somewhere like 2, 2.2% or something like that. They have the means to juice that dividend and put cash in, in shareholders' pockets today. And I know 
the counter to that is that when you buy back shares, you shrink that share account, and, and ultimately that should you know result in, in more value in the shares. But that also is facing market psychology, and and that you still have to realize the value through the market actually bidding those shares up. So I'd like to see them juice that dividend. But Jason, what about the electric car? What Come about on. the electric Come on. car? I don't buy think Tesla. we're going to hear anything about that anytime Just soon. Buy it. I'll tell you the Drop one the thing I, I I do I do <laughs> it. It starts getting old listening to their calls and hearing them frame how many iPhones they sold in the context of this many per minute results and that many per day results and that many per week. Listen, I get it. You sold a buttload of them, all right? <laughs> Tell me about is what you're going to do next. technical term? Right? It is. It's a technical term. Uh, shares down 20% in the past year. I mean, it's an income play. Is this also a value stock at this point? Just as we were saying, what was it, maybe a year and a half ago, two years, um, that it's a value play. The multiples are, are not high on this stock. They don't Need to put up a lot of growth for the stock to, to go up. So um, I think profits are immense. Cash flow is unbelievable. Balance sheet rock solid. I think um, stock's cheap. I, yeah, I said on Twitter, I mean, instead of trying to figure out whether they're going to meet expectations, beat expectations, or miss them, try to look at this and say, is this a business I want to own for the next five years? And I think absolutely yes, it is. Amazon's fourth quarter saw a rise in sales and membership to its Prime service, but it also saw a big rise in expenses, Maddie, and the stock down more than 3% this week. Yeah, it was funny because it was it was up a lot kind of going into earnings. And then, of course, Thursday night reports, Friday was down quite a bit. It's really only giving back kind of what it gained in the week. So, revenue was up 22% to $35.7 billion in the quarter, uh, just shy of estimates. Uh, you have to put that in context. Though. I mean, we saw really no growth in retail this past quarter, especially from brick and mortar stores. And eBay, which we'll talk about later, also showed no growth. So, the fact that Amazon's putting up 22% growth, uh, very, very impressive. Um, it's also, I'd, I'd like to point out, that half of the merchandise sold on Amazon in the fourth quarter came from third-party sellers, which I thought you were going to say my wife. Well, <laughs> oh, Ron Gross's wife, but but that's so important because that those are those are generally higher margin than Amazon's own sales, and it just shows you just kind of the 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 immense amount of sort of pe- people using and retailers using the platform. Um, again, great grateful year for Amazon as well. They surpassed 100 billion dollars. For the first time, uh, Walmart took four decades to do that. So Amazon did it in about half the time, which is which is so impressive. Uh, Amazon Web Services again, huge grower in the quarter, up 69% to 2.4 billion. Not growing as fast as Microsoft's uh, Azure, but but pretty fast. Um, operating profits there tripled to 687 million. So that's certainly where a lot of the profitable growth uh, for Amazon is coming. But you said it, Chris. The the expenses is where. Amazon's facing a lot of trouble right now. Just the shipping costs alone were up 37 percent and 12.5 percent of sales versus 10.9 percent a year ago, and that's that's from really trying to invest and make sure that the experience that Amazon buyers have and getting stuff on time, especially during the holiday season, they had to make a lot of investments there. But so. we've had this question from listeners before, Jason: Are they going to be competing with UPS and FedEx? And the answer to that may be yes, but the answer is also if they are, that's not cheap. It's not cheap to compete with companies that have a lot of trucks and a lot of airplanes. No, no question, it's not cheap. And I would say a couple of things. Number one, in regard to the shipping. Costs going up, you know that's something that I think investors need to go ahead and accept is going to be the case because when they were asked that question on the call, they're like, "Listen, two-hour shipping, it's really hard, it's really difficult, and it's expensive." But you know what? Our members love it, and so that's you know mm-hmm. all you need to say. They are focused on their members, their buyers, their subscribers. Uh, and you know the question was asked in regard to the logistics and the shipping, and I think really at this point in the game, what they're looking to do is find new ways to sort of. 
you know, take care of busier times for them. So I don't know that we're going to see them jumping into uh, directly competing with UPS or FedEx anytime soon. But they are looking for new ways to be able to handle, uh, you know, the surge in volume when it comes during holiday times or if they're going to have another Prime Day sale or whatnot. I'll just I'll just say also that you know we're seeing Amazon fall um, after reports earnings. I feel like every other quarter Amazon reports it's it's it falls ten percent or more, and usually that's been a time. It's always been a time after over the last five years to buy the stock, and I see that opportunity right now as well. Coming up, we've got sports apparel, Dow components, and more. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio with Jason Moser, Matt Argusinger, and Ron Gross. Shares of Under Armour up 20% this week after fourth quarter profit came in higher than expected. The quarter was nice, Jason, but the guidance for 2016 was really nice. Yeah, really nice is a nice way to put it. I think the market obviously uh, appreciated it. And, you know, we were hoping for some challenges this quarter in MDP to give us a chance to add to our existing position. And, man, I guess we got that one wrong, Matty. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's a nice problem have though and and I think it was interesting to look at the the real performers in this business you look at direct to consumer that growth uh, was up 25% direct to consumer now represents 30% of total revenue footwear sales up another 95% I think this is important because if you look at this 10 years ago they had not sold a single pair of shoes Today, footwear represents 17% of their of their business at, at about $700 million in sales. And, and it wasn't that long ago where I think a lot of people were actually kind of laughing at their foray into running shoes. So, they've obviously done a lot of, a lot of really good things here. Um, we always talk about weather, and I think it's probably apropos here to talk about weather because of the blizzard we just had. But the question is always asked of, of, of uh, management there, what about the weather? And Kevin Plank is, is not going to use that as an excuse. As a matter of fact, he seems to stare that thing right in the face and, and tell you they're going to do the opposite, right? He says that, quote, we do not let weather play a decisive role in dictating our success, end quote. So, it will be very interesting to see this, they this quarter that, that they're up. in, if they, <laughs> they can back that up. Uh, two years ago, 2014, uh, the Men's World Cup, Nike was pretty upfront about the fact that they were going to be increasing their marketing spend going into that. We got the Summer Olympics coming up. I'm wondering if, if Kevin Plank and his team gave any color on potentially spending a little bit more in advance of the Olympics. Sure. And in the call, in the context of these coming Olympics, that word was mentioned precisely one time. Uh, what they are doing is maintaining flexibility. Uh, they do a very good job of bringing in a lot of high-profile athletes who do a lot of advertising for them, and they'll have a lot of athletes out there in the Olympic Games who who are uh, representing the Under Armour brand. But international sales represent uh, you know a decent slug of the business today versus versus what it was even just five years ago. So I, I suspect we'll continue to see them grow that global footprint. And I'll just say I know the Olympics, but gosh, up into that, who are we watching? We're watching Steph Curry. Yep. And we're watching Jordan Spieth. Yeah, you're you know, and ready to watch months. Cam Newton here. And Cam, there the you Super go. I mean, I mean, just wow. The Dow Jones Industrial Average being pushed up this week by a couple of key components. 3M stock up 8% after fourth quarter profits came in much higher than expected. And shares of Caterpillar up 4%, which is a little strange, Ron, when you consider fourth quarter results weren't that great and they lowered guidance for 2016. Let's, let's go with 3M first. Sure. It's both a little strange. Uh, both industrial companies, both struggling, both companies doing what they have to do. I like what 3M CEO said. He said, we controlled the controllable while investing in our business and returning cash to our shareholders. And that's all you can do in a time where, where industrial uh, the industrial economy is weak. They've been cutting costs. They've been laying off people. They've been taking um, expenses out of the business. Um, 
everybody's being you know um, hurt by currency effects. Things are not um, necessarily very strong right now, so you do what you can do. Um, profit in the quarter was down eight percent for 3M. Um, revenue um, was, you know, up slightly in some areas on an organic basis. Revenue was up four and a half percent in healthcare, two and a point seven percent in the consumer business. So better than expected results makes the stock lift, but things are are not so rosy here, and they're cost cutting their way um, back to to health. Now we transition to Caterpillar, and this is this is tricky. Things are very, very weak in Caterpillar's business in, in mining, industrial equipment. Their 2016 guidance is weak, but yet stock went up and and guidance was relatively healthy. So, so what's going on there? Uh, you may ask, Chris. Go ahead. Believe me, I'm asking because <laughs> because when Caterpillar, which has not performed well over the last few years, comes out and says our profit this year is going to be so much better than all of you Wall Street analysts expect. And the stock pops. All I can think is everyone's just saying, "Oh, okay, we'll take your word for it." Right. So there's a lot of accounting things going on here. So if you exclude all the restructuring charges that have come and will come, and then you um, take into account that they had a big accounting change for their pension plan, that makes things look significantly better than they actually are. So um, it's kind of a little bit of fuzzy math there, in my opinion. You need to look through that. You need to understand that Caterpillar business is weak. It will continue to be weak through 2016. They're controlling what they can control by cutting costs, 10,000 jobs being cut, but um, we won't see top-line growth for quite some time until that global economy really strengthens. One of the big spin-offs of 2015 was eBay spinning off PayPal. Both companies reporting this week, and both stocks going in different directions. <laughs> PayPal's fourth quarter profits slightly higher than expected, and revenue was up as well. eBay's fourth quarter results uh, almost didn't matter, Maddie, because their guidance for 2016 sent the stock down more than 12%. Awful, awful. Let's start with PayPal. I mean, 6.6 million new users in the fourth quarter, including 1.6 million from their highway robbery. I'm sorry, acquisition of Zoom. I'm, just, I'm looking at somebody's better. I'm looking at Jason. I'm looking at Jason. Uh, you know, so PayPal's total user base up to 179 million. Uh, revenue up 17%. Uh, merchant service payments, which is their core uh, payment transactions metric, up 36%. Very, very strong there. Uh, and they announced a two billion dollar buyback pro- plan. I, I don't. It's kind of like what's not to like about PayPal. Uh, with eBay, it's kind of like what's to like. Uh, you know. <laughs> It's because if you think about it, in the e-commerce world we live in, we saw how Amazon did. It's amazing to see that eBay, which really, I mean, if you go back eight or nine years ago, I'd say eBay and Amazon were pretty much neck and neck, and and you could you could find investors who were willing to bet either way on who would kind of be the king of e-commerce. We know that for certain it's Amazon, but for eBay to report virtually no growth. In the quarter, just 2.3 billion in revenue. Uh, gross merchandise volume was flat. Net profits actually fell uh, 12%. And they're guiding, Chris, you said, just two between two and five percent growth in 2016. So you're talking about a company, you know, an e-commerce leader by all, uh, you know, by all standards. But they're they're kind of predicting growth that's going to be kind of in line with the economy. It's very, it's really not impressive at all. Up next, earnings palooza rolls on. Stay right here. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio with Jason Moser, Matt Argusinger, and Ron Gross. Radio at Fool.com is our email address. That's radio at Fool.com from Forrest Klontz in South Carolina. What in the world is happening to Ford Motor's stock? This entire past year has been a mystery to me. And this week, they beat on fourth quarter profits, they beat on revenue, and confirmed good guidance ahead. There were even articles popping up entitled, Ford is running on all cylinders. Uh, that's that's trademark infringement. Whoa, that's Ron's line. Call my lawyer. Did you get a royalty payment for that? 
Jason, what is the story, though? Uh, well, I mean, you know, to, to steal Iranism, I mean, they are firing on all cylinders. There's no question about it. I mean, I, I think. You know what's not a, firing on all cylinders? What's this that? stock. <laughs> <laughs> You're very correct. It's a good observation. Let's talk about that, Chris. Uh, you know, I, I think the, the biggest problem that Ford and its ilk face at this point is that the market, as we know, is forward-looking, and it is looking to what is next. Now, here's the reason why that's a problem. The, the, the U.S. new car market just hit a record 17.5 million cars here in 2015. I mean, there were, remember that technical term about iPhones I threw on a little yeah. buttload? Okay, there was a buttload of cars sold, too. Uh, and, and you know, dealers were doing all they could to move those things off the lot. They were offering great incentives, and and so with the cost of money being very low, there was a lot of incentive to get out there and buy new cars. Trucks are uh, you know big sellers right now because fuel prices are so cheap. Uh, so the market is thinking, hey, all right, they just had this banner year. What do we expect here coming down down the pike? And I, and I think it's reasonable to assume that it's going to be a bit of a challenging environment over the coming years here. Um, you know, Ford sold more than six and a half million cars in 2015, and that was up from the year before. And again, they're they're doing a great job building cars that people want to drive, and they're moving them out the door. But I think that we are hitting a point now uh, where a lot of people have gone out there and bought new cars, and I think that the question is a valid one: What kind of sales numbers can we expect from these guys? Guidance notwithstanding, because guidance is just guidance. Let's let's see kind of how 2016, 2017 is going to shake out. This actually may be a great time for something like a CarMax because as the cost of money starts going up, you know, as people start saying, "Hey, well maybe trucks aren't the way to go if fuel prices start going up, maybe something like a used car uh, dealer like CarMax, which has really done a great job in that experience, you know, maybe maybe that's something uh, worth looking at." We saw recently with the Consumer Electronics Show, the reports leading up to it were that Ford and Google were going to be presenting some sort of joint venture together. That didn't happen. Is that something that Ford needs to consider if it's going to do if it's going to do anything as a business to propel the stock? Because it when you know we t- joked earlier about Apple and the electric car, but let's face it, all indications are Apple's working on some type of vehicle, and I'm wondering if Ford needs to find a dance partner. Well, I think it probably helps to find a dance partner in that case, and they are, uh, if I understand correctly, uh, setting it up so that their 2016 models going forward will be compatible, I believe, with uh, Apple's uh, car ecosystem and Google's as well. So I think there are going to be some options there. In regard to the electric car initiatives, you know, I think that all of the big automakers out there are trying to be a part of this space. They're investing a lot of money um, in in trying to sort of move forward with that technology. It's certainly it's a good reminder that Tesla is not the only game in town when it comes to that, um, and that automakers like Ford and GM have have the scale and the resources to definitely invest in that space. Second quarter profits for Coach came in higher than expected, and sales rose for the first time in ten quarters. Ron, that's well, a nice streak to break. Look who's not dead yet. Yes, <laughs> as you said, first quarterly sales. Sales gains since June 2013. So investors who have been patient are seeing a little bit of a turn. Now we, we need to understand that almost all of, of that goodness there is due to the acquisition of, of Stuart Weitzman, um, the shoe company. The core coach brand was actually still down 3% globally and 7% North America. But believe it or not, Chris, that's actually a, quite an improvement <laughs> over previous um, that's just quarters. Sad. And uh, it looks like perhaps that business is turning the corner and they've scaled back promotions and they've shut underperforming stores. They've upgraded some designs. So they seem to be making progress and the Stuart Weitzman business is kind of towing the line for now. Profits were down 8%, so they haven't turned the quarter to profitability yet. Gross margins have narrowed still. 
China looks strong. Europe looks strong. Double-digit increases in both. They raised guidance as a result of this strong quarter. Um, so things are better, but we haven't we haven't gotten quite there yet. A couple of years ago, I remember one of the narratives with Coach was, "Well, they've got a new designer coming in, and this is we're going to see how that mm-hmm. works out." It seems, based on what you just said, it seems like. Yes, you want a good designer, but it sounds like what they need is a really good operation. They yeah. need a real strong operator because if what's going to drive this stock is how well they do in terms of sales per square foot and that sort of thing and mm-hmm. managing inventory, maybe I, they need I, that. I think that's right. But um, if you recall, when the new design chief came in, the whole real senior management team turned over um, from the top down. Um, and I think that's what led to the shutting of underperforming stores and and, and new um, promotional um, strategies. Um, so I think they're kind of doing both, which is maybe why we are seeing the improvement. Um, they're also exploring. They're doing some creative things like exploring the sale of their New York headquarters since Manhattan real estate is so high at the moment. Maybe that would be a way to to unlock some value. So th- there's some financial engineering here um, as well as strategy as well as design. Yeah, Ron, I was question for you. I do you think? I mean, we know with with fashion companies, apparel companies. It's natural for them to go through these cycles. I think where they're either out of fashion or in fashion. Mm-hmm. Uh, is Coach one of those? Do you think kind of is a sustainable long-term brand? I mean, in other words, we'll be talking about people will be buying Coach ten or fifteen years from now. The same brand, just you know, obviously it'll look different. The purses will look different, but we'll <laughs> yeah. still- I think the answer is yes, um, but that doesn't really inform you as to what to do about the stock. I think the stock is going to go up and down and up and down, and this is the kind of thing, uh, fashion in general, specialty retail in general, you need to buy it right. They're not always great buy and hold investments, so while I think Coach will be around, you need to catch it at the right part of the cycle in terms of an investment, otherwise you won't make money. Shares of Coach up 15% this week, so as you said, patient investors getting a little bit of a reward. McDonald's stock hitting an all-time high this week after fourth quarter profits and revenue came in higher than expected. Same-store sales in the U.S. up more than 5.5%. And Jason Moser, you were skeptical about the all-day breakfast. Jason. And it is paying off. It paid off. (laughs) The question is, will it continue paying off? So, as of now, I think we all should doff our collective caps to Steve Easterbrook, because he really has uh, done what I consider to be a phenomenal job in, in, cre- in, in sort of changing the narrative on McDonald's because for a very long time it was it was really sort of uh, you know it was in the gutter you know for, for lack of a better description there in in my how how times have changed you know Chipotle now is is really more or less being being dragged through the mud and for good reason I mean I think they're sort of working on turning those operations around and we've seen a lot of optimism on the, on the McDonald's side and I think that's for good reason I mean the breakfast all day initiative certainly has worked it's worked very well that was a, a big a credit to the sales numbers that they've been able to turn in here this past uh, you know quarter and and a I think buttload of forward, egg McMuffins sold. Well, I mean that's you know it's a technical term it's, it's it applies <laughs> For all for all segments, all markets, around. Uh, but um, I, I think that the, the biggest question is: Is this going to be sustainable? Because it did bring more customers in at more uh, you know times during the day. They did witness incremental sales from it, so it wasn't like people were just swapping out you know a McGriddle for uh, you know a Big Mac or the other way around. Uh, the question is: Is that sustainable? And, and time will only tell there. But I, I do think that Steve Easterbrook, what he's done a really good job at. 
is is being very proactive and trying to figure out exactly what customers want now. And and sort of, you know, we we've made a little fun of it before about trying to become this modern progressive burger company, but there is something to that. At least that's his vision. And part of that is understanding what the consumers want. So it's it's a matter of quality of food, quality of service and the environment. And what they're doing on those last two points focusing more on digital initiatives. You know, they they've seen 7 million plus downloads of the app. They're throwing in more ordering kiosks in stores so you can kind of go in there and just order and it reduces the friction of actually dealing with a person. Uh, accuracy of orders tends to be a little bit uh, better. And and they're going to move to some more franchises. It's already an 80% franchise model. They're going to become even more of a franchise model, which allows them I think to focus on their real strengths, which is supply chain management and and nurturing that brand. Well, we know breakfast worked last quarter, but we know what's going to work this quarter. It's the chocolate fries. When they hit North America, watch those same store sales. Rest- well, it's going to explode. And they just might get to America because, uh, well, well, we'll talk about that in the next segment. Um, for a while, this was a stock that, to the extent that there was a case for it, it was, well, this stock looks cheap. Easterbrook took over March 1st of last year. It's up 23% since then. This doesn't look nearly as cheap as it used to. No, it definitely doesn't. And I think that investors, Looking at this as a potential buy today, you need to at least recognize that. But also, I think if you're buying McDonald's today, uh, you're probably buying it more for the income than anything else. I mean, Easterbrook was very clear on the call. They feel uh, that it's going to take a couple of more quarters before they can really sort of change the conversation from turnaround to growth. I think growth is going to be a little bit more difficult for them to come by, given the size already and sort of the changing competitive landscape there. Uh, but regardless, I mean, they've done a very good job of returning value to shareholders via buybacks, via dividends, and I expect that to continue. Coming up, we will dip into the full mailbag and we'll give you an inside look at the stocks on our radar. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. If you've got the money, I got the time. We'll go honky tonking and we'll have a time. We'll make all the night spots, do the town up fine. If you've got the money, honey, I got the time. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio, Jason Moser, Matt Argersinger, Ron Gross. Guys, a couple of housekeeping notes. Uh, two new radio stations to welcome this week. Our first affiliate in Minnesota, Brainerd's Business Radio, KVBR AM 1340. And in Tampa, Florida, WWMI, AM 1380, The Biz. You're a Bucks fan. (laughs) I am a Bucks fan. Uh, Radio stations across America, but we've got listeners around the world, thanks to the podcast version of this show. And last week, as you indicated, Maddie, we talked about McDonald's unveiling the McChaco potato (laughs) in Japan. This is French fries drizzled with chocolate sauce. And our listeners in Japan did some on-the-ground research and told us about it. Jay Melton included some photos in his email as he wrote, As you would expect, there's not enough sauce for the whole order of fries, but that's a blessing in disguise. (laughs) From Danny Simard, I can say with confidence, this is a hit here. It's delicious and mysterious. Hopefully, they'll bring it to America. And from Michael Patrick, to all you doubters out there, have you never dipped your fries in a chocolate malt? That isn't just a Midwest thing, is it? 
I don't know. Is that I don't that think, is a very good point. Now that I think back to my days, uh, you know, as a kid on the swim team, and McDonald's was always where the after swim meat parties went. And man, dipping those fries in chocolate shakes—that was a thing. You were on the swim team. Oh yeah. What was your specialty? What was oh your... baby, it was all butterfly. The <laughs> it was everything. It was, it was a buttload of things. Right? It was butter back breast free. I just it was. Uh, it <laughs> you was did it all. Oh man, yes, sir. that's so impressive. Uh, before we get to the stocks on our radar, one non-earning story to get to, but hopefully this will be an earning story at some point in the future. And I have to thank Ron Gross for flagging this one, which is that uh, we've talked before about Radio Shack and how it filed for bankruptcy. But uh, one fellow electronics retailer, Circuit City, is apparently back from the dead and is going to be opening up new locations starting later this spring, uh, acquired by a couple of private investors. They acquired the brand, the domain, and all the trademarks and they plan to open 50 to 100 corporate-owned stores by this time next year, Ron. But important to differentiate the old and the new, they're not going to be superstores. They're thinking more of electronic boutiques, uh, which, what could go wrong there? Uh, <laughs> there's very little competition in that space, so it should be fine. But it's interesting to see them back. Uh, let's bring in our man Steve Broido from the other side of the glass. Uh, Steve, uh, you know more about electronics than anyone I know. How ex- first, how excited are you for the prospect of Circuit City opening up a location near you? Well, not very. I will say <laughs> that the, even the name Circuit City, it's just a city built of circuits, right? That, that's it's like just, the major. better than it's Radio big, Shack. It's, it's great. It's terrific. Not <laughs> but, exciting. But it's better than, as a name, you, you, you it will. It is better than Radio Shack. It's better yes. than Radio But a low bar to clear? Low bar, and there's definitely too much competition in this space as is. All right. Uh, are you? Do you have any interest in the uh, in the chocolate fries? If they're really this big a hit in Japan, absolutely, I give them a shot. Yeah, sound good. I saw that vanilla sauce as well. You can mix the chocolate and the vanilla. There's two. You get fries, and they give you two packets. One is sort of regular chocolate sauce. One is more of a white chocolate sauce. And, um, and apparently, there's not enough to cover the whole thing. Glad to see they're doubling down on I mean, the health aspect of the menu. Of I mean, my, yeah, my wife and I dip everything in Nutella. I mean, wow. everything. Uh, but uh, most things, a lot of things we've dipped in Nutella. Not going there. Anyway, so it's not a stretch. It's not going to be a stretch for me. All right, let's get to the stocks on our radar this week. And our man, Steve Broida, will hit you with a question. Uh, Ron Gross, you're up first. What are you looking at this week? I've been focusing a lot on blue chips, so I decided to go the other way um, this week with a recent re-recommendation by our Hidden Gem service, which is uh, Decker's Outdoors, D-E-C-K. Best known, I would think, for their UGG brand. Um, And uh, also, they have the Tiva Sandals, the Sanuk, uh, the Hoka 1-1. the HD guys really. Um, are they, you just making up no, names? No, these are you know Tiva sandals. Come on. Yeah, there was that last one that made no sense to me. <laughs> Hoka one one. Okay, you know, <laughs> <laughs> oversized ultra cushioned ultra running shoe. I'm completely unfamiliar with these. But Hoka one one. Um, so with with the reinvigoration of UGGs and the, the potential growth in Tiva and Sanic, um, the HD guys think margins and cash flow will prove here. They think the stock could be worth seventy dollars, and we're really only at around fifty right now. So forty percent potential upside. But they do highlight, and I will as well, that this is a high risk stock, um, mostly because um, they are really really dependent on UGGs, which provides more than eighty percent of the top line. Eighty percent. Eighty percent. They have number. all those brands, and they're just betting everything on UGGs. Big, big, big number. Steve Broido, question about Decker's Outdoors? If I wanted to buy some Hoka shoes, where would I go to do so? <laughs> I would go to Zappos. Okay. How about that? <laughs> Sounds like you got to go to Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. You know who's a big odds guy? 
Tom Brady. Oh, heck yeah. Tom Brady. <laughs> Jason Moser, what are you looking at this week? Touchdown, Tommy? <laughs> sure. So, the Stock Advisor team uh, and I have been talking with them recently about some of their favorite ideas, and Critio is one that keeps on coming uh, up to the top there. Ticker is CRTO. Uh, and Critio, for those who are not familiar with the company, uses predictive software to deliver targeted, personalized advertising across display mobile and social media sites for thousands of advertisers worldwide. <laughs> what a memory you have. <laughs> so what that means is they use technology and I have no idea how it works, but it seems to be working because now they have more than 9,000 clients with a retention rate better than 90%. And all of this information goes into feed what they have is called the Critio engine and as it feeds that engine it gets smarter and smarter which grows their competitive advantage. Uh, so it's one I am definitely looking at uh, bringing over to the watch list for MDP, learning a little bit more about because it certainly seems like an interesting opportunity. Steve, question about Critio? Well, advertisers just uh, lose faith in the fact that they won't have 8 billion views. It's it's 1,200, but it's really qualified leads. Is, are they going to go for that? I'm not quite sure what you're asking. <laughs> <laughs> are you saying that the... The leads seem to be uh, less and less quality. No, they're higher quality leads, but they're lower in number. Well, I think lower in number is okay as long as they are higher quality. And so we saw another good example in TripAdvisor as they moved over to their meta search. It reduced the actual number of clicks, but it made those clicks more valuable. So actually, that works out pretty well for the business if they can execute. Matty Argensinger, what are you looking at this no, week? No, I'm looking at Tesla Motors again, uh, ticker TSLA. Anytime the stock drops below $200, I start to get more interested in the company. It's, it's, I think it's the most, one of the most exciting companies out there. Such a huge ramp up uh, for what this company could become. Uh, I think a lot of people are, are saying, well, low gas prices right now. No one's buying electric cars, but trust me, that's not the reason people are buying the Model S or the Model X. So, Tesla. Steve Brodo, question about Tesla Motors. Would you spend that kind of money in a car, Matt, personally? That's a lot of money for their... Well, I'm I'm not a big car guy, but so when they come out with the Model Three in a few years, which is supposed to be priced around thirty to forty thousand, I'm going to be very interested. How does it handle the blizzard? Has it uh, Snowzilla? You know, it might not do so well, but I'll probably stay in if that happens again. <laughs> I think that's one of the more interesting things to watch with Tesla Motors is you look at how the big automakers, for the most part, Ford, as we talked about before, GM, etc. They've they really haven't gone after Tesla Motors because they understand that Tesla is first and foremost a luxury car maker. So, they look at Tesla and think, well, that's not really competition. But I think it'll be interesting to watch if, when they come out with this thirty dollars to $40,000 vehicle, well, yeah. if then the, the knives come out. That's right. And, and so, I, I think Tesla is innovating so well at the high end, and hopefully, and having a sustainable business, I think they'll innovate just as well at the lower end. Well, we, what will also be very interesting, to me at least, is a luxury car maker, yes, and they've been able to maintain very high levels of service, and they're known for that. So, if they come out with a car that appeals to the masses, will they still be able to maintain that high level of service that they're so well known for today. We yeah. kid, we were kidding around before that Apple should just go ahead and buy Tesla. Give me odds. What do you think? I odds are low. I, a few years ago, odds would been high. Odds are very low now. I think because Tesla's got a, a sustainable business, like a good enough balance sheet. I think Elon Musk sort of wants to be on whatever Mount Rushmore he's going for by himself, and not on you know <laughs> Apple's shoulders. So. Right. I'd say it stays independent. Steve, Tesla Motors, Critio, Decker's Outdoors. One of those uh, you think you want to put on your watch list? Critio sounds unusual, and I'm interested. <laughs> yes! <laughs> All right. Ryan Gross, Jason Moser, Matt Argusinger. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank, Thank you. You. you can check out all of the Motley Fool's podcasts. Just go to fool.com slash podcast. That's fool.com 
slash podcast. Take us with you when you go on your commute or when you're just doing stuff around the house. Fool.com slash podcast. That is going to do it for this week's edition of Motley Fool Money. Our engineer is Steve Broido. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Yeah.